Well, if you didn't uh, recognize it from the glass slipper, uh, what you were just watching was a clip from the uh, live action film of Cinderella that Disney put out a few years ago. And um, it's one of Allie and my uh, favorite movies. We really enjoy it. And um, I think even if you're a burly man or you're a, a dainty lady, there's something that we can all relate to um, in regards to that Cinderella fairy tale. This idea that there's more value to us than meets the eye. That there's something unseen um, being waited to be invited to the castle, called out, crowned, coronated. For guys that might be uh, winning the World Series or knocking down uh, Floyd Mayweather in a fight or something like that in the boxing ring. Uh, for gals, it may be something like walking down the aisle. But each of us, we have those things and those dreams and uh, the Cinderella story, uh, I think is something we can all relate to. But Allie, what are we going to talk about specifically today? Yeah, like you saw in that film, and, and in case you missed it, I'll recap it because it happened right when the, the little glitch happened. But there was a moment when right before Cinderella is about to meet her prince, where that evil stepmother, and, and regardless if you've seen this version of Cinderella, but um, she grabs Cinderella's arm right before she's about to meet him and says to her, just remember who you are, you wretch. And that's what she says at the very end. And I think um, for many of us, we face things in our lives that want to threaten our identity. We face a lot of enemies that want to tell us that we're something that God did not create us to be. But this morning, we want to talk about how we can discover the person God created us to be and discover the identity that we have in Christ. That we don't have to listen to the voices of those enemies that want to grab our arms and say, this is who you are. But instead, we can become the person God created us to be. So today we're going to explore four enemies of our identity. It's something we're really excited to talk about because we believe that by the time this message is over, you're going to be equipped to walk in greater victory in your life and be one step closer, if not multiple steps closer, to being the person that God created you to be, being the person that you were designed to be. And so we're going to jump right in and we're going to talk about the first enemy to your identity in Christ, the person you're called to be. And that enemy, if you're taking notes, and I suggest that you do take some notes so you can look back at it later, the first enemy is caution or fear. We're going to talk about four C's, different enemies that can keep you from your uh, identity in Christ. And the first one is caution. I want to read to you out of Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And here the Lord is speaking, God is speaking to Joshua before he takes the promised land and leads the armies of Israel in. Uh, God says this, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In our generation, in our life, there are so many different things to be afraid about. Generation Z, those right after our millennial generation, born around the year 2000, some people call them the homeland security generation because they were a generation that was born in a life all they've ever known is, is terrorism as a threat. They were born after 9-11. They were born into a time of many school shootings. And it brings anxiety. It brings fear. And yet this scripture in this promise from God is as true today as it was thousands of years ago that if we will put our trust and if we'll be strong and courageous, God is with us. God is with us as we move forward. One of my favorite lines in the movie Cinderella is this idea that her mother tells her, have courage and be kind. 
And I honestly think those two uh, virtues, if you want to call them that, are as applicable and necessary today as ever. Have courage, not in ourself, not in our own strength, but in God, and walk in the kindness, the love of God to others. And so our first enemy is, is that caution or fear. I want to share with you a, a quote by the author Mark Twain. He wrote uh, Huckleberry Fan, and he said this, I have been through some terrible things in my life, some of which actually happened. Can anybody relate to that? I know I can. I'm a pacer, like literally, not like, you know, uh, the Reggie Miller pacers, but literally I pace back and forth whenever I'm praying or thinking. And once in a while, Allie will find me around 2 a.m. pacing in our living room because I'm worrying about something. I'm thinking about something. I'm trying to figure out how I can avoid the danger or the problem or save some money on our car or whatever that thing might be. And um, it's so easy to spend so much time and energy. And yet many times, my greatest fears never come true. How about you? Many times those things that keep us out of, at night, just they don't. I want to share with you a quote. It says this, fear is a door between you and the life you were called to. But fear is often a liar and the door is often unlocked. We're going to give you three applications to attack the enemy of um, caution and fear. The first one here is ask yourself what's worse. That's a simple question. What's worse? Facing your fears or living your whole life locked outside the door of your best life? Here's the second thing that's going to help you as you battle fear. And fear is something that God's given me a lot of victory over, but I've faced a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Is surround yourself with people who know your fears and who will push you to face them. In times of fear, when you're surrounded with fear, one of the best things you can do is have a good friend. Might be your spouse, might be a family member, it might be somebody from your connect group at church. It's important to have a friend who you can honestly talk to and say, here is what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm thinking. Uh, Allie has just been a godsend to me at the times I've been able to just come to her and say, darling, here's what I'm scared about. She's able to go and have a more objective view and say, you know what? You're not going to get fired tomorrow. Your boss doesn't hate you. My boss is my dad. And so... Still, you still have those fears, though. Um, you know, we're not going to run out of food. The, the government's not going to collapse tomorrow, whatever that thing might be. And, and a good friend can help you get perspective and speak the truth when all you fear is the lie of the fear. But the second thing that a good friend can do for you, and that I would encourage you as a good friend that you would do for others, is that you would, at times, you would know them enough to push them to face their fear. There are times when I do it for Allie or Allie does it for me or we just know, you know what, we've supported, we've encouraged, but now is a moment when we can break through and, you need, and they push you to face the fear, to press into it and just see if that fear really is a liar. You can get through that door into the place that God has for you. Here's the third thing. Have 20 seconds of insane courage. Who's seen the movie We Bought a Zoo with Matt Damon? He's not in his born identity uh, character there, but it's another great movie. And this father who buys a zoo, uh, hence we bought a zoo, talks to his kids about this idea of having just 20 seconds of insane courage. And it's how he met his uh, wife in the movie and um, they ultimately got married. It's because he was scared and nervous as almost every guy talking to a girl would be, right? 
or girls maybe talking to guys, and he said, I just had 20 seconds where I ignored the fear and I did that thing that I knew I should do. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go date someone today, necessarily, but there may be that thing that you know God is calling you to do. Maybe walking across the street to knock on your neighbor's door and just build a friendship and a relationship. Whatever that thing is, have 20 seconds and step into the fear because so often fear is a liar. Amen? Amen. So good. It's challenging, right? Our second C, our second enemy of our identity is a big one and it's one that I face all the time and it is comparison. And I think in our day and age, comparison is more alive than it ever has been because through social media, not only do we have the opportunity to compare ourselves to friends and family members and those nearby, but we can compare ourselves to people on the other side of the world, right? We compare our lives to their lives and our kids to their kids and all the different things that come along with it. But looking at the the movie that we're talking about today with Cinderella is Cinderella was not trapped in comparison. It's interesting because in any adaptation I've ever seen of Cinderella, whether it's the cartoon or the live action or there's different, you know, hundreds of different adaptations that they've made. In every single one of them, there is this moment where Cinderella, she comes to the ball and she's at the top of the stairs and she walks down those stairs to her prince. And what's interesting is that in every adaptation I've seen that all the other girls at the ball, every other bell at the ball is looking around at her, looking around at each other, comparing their dresses, comparing their hair, comparing all these different things. But what's interesting about Cinderella that sets her apart from her stepsisters and every other girl is that she she locks eyes with her prince and she walks straight towards her goal. She's not comparing. She's not looking to the right or to the left. But I think so many times for us, we fall into the trap of comparison. And it's not just a physical comparison where we're comparing, you know, our hair, nails, all those different things. But we can compare so many other things. Often, we compare things like our abilities, right? We can say things like, well, that person is just so much better at that than I am. They're so much smarter. They're so much more equipped. I'm so ill-equipped compared to them. We can compare our opportunities. We can say things like, if only I had that job, or if only I had that opportunity, then I could do fill-in-the-blank thing. We compare even our challenges. Any parents ever said, if only I had their kids, if only my kids would listen the way that their kids listen, or if only I had this thing. And then we also compare our resources. If only I made that much money, if only I had that relationship or that open door to me, I would be able to do whatever it is that we think we can't do. But what purpose does comparison really serve? Because comparison doesn't tell us anything about our identity. They're going to put this up on the screen. Comparison will always distract us with everything that we're not, but it lacks the power to tell us and to show us who we are. I'll say that again for the people in the back. Comparison distracts us with everything that we're not, but it lacks the power to show us who we are. And I think when we fall into the trap of comparison, that's what it does every single time. Um, But how do we defeat comparison? How do we come against it? What is our battle weapon? And I love what author Bob Goff says. He says this, we won't be distracted by comparison if we are captivated with purpose. When we get a hold of saying, God, I know who you created me to be, and I know what you created me to do, when we're captivated with the purpose for which God created us, we don't get distracted by comparison. And I love what what it says in Ephesians 2, verse 10. It says this, 
for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This verse talks about who we are, who God created us to be. He created us to be a masterpiece. Recently, I had the incredible privilege to go to Paris and go to the Louvre, and there's, there's hallways and hallways full of masterpieces, and you can't compare one to another. They're masterpieces. They're original works of art, right? And I think the same is true of us. God created a masterpiece in us, but he also gave us something to do. He gave us good works. He gave us a purpose a call in our life that we can walk in. And I think that is so exciting. I also love what it says in Isaiah 26, verse 3. It says this, You keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. And the Good News translation says this, You, Lord, give perfect peace to those who keep their purpose firm and put their trust in you. When we put our trust in God and we keep our purpose fixed, our purpose firm, our calling fixed, we can say, okay, God, I can do what you called me to do. And I don't have to get distracted to the right or to the left of comparison. That when I know I have a unique call and a unique purpose on my life, I don't have to get so concerned with trying to discover everybody else's and get concerned with everybody else's purpose, but I can actually take time discovering my own, right? And one last thing I'll leave you with on this point is that busy people don't become bystanders. And what I mean by that is this. When you're busy with the plan of God, you don't have time to be a bystander of comparison. Right, when you become a bystander and you get bored, right, that's often what happens is we get bored and we start standing around and looking around at things. Have you ever people watched because you're bored? Because maybe, you know, you're a guy and your wife's shopping and so you're sitting and you're bystanding, right? When we're bored, that's when we become bystanders. But when we're busy and active pursuing the call of God, doing what God called us to do, we don't have time because we're already, we're, we're doing the challenges that God puts in front of us and we're exploring the opportunities that God puts in front of us. We don't have time to start comparing our lives to everyone else. So here are three applications for defeating comparison in our lives. The first one is just to ask the simple question, what has God uniquely given me? I talked about how we can compare our abilities and our skills and our resources and all those different things, but instead looking and saying, what has God given me? What skills has God put in me? What resources, what opportunities, and even what challenges did God put in front of my path that I can begin to act on? The second one is stop comparing and start accomplishing. You know, I think all of us can take a little bit of a step back from comparison, whether that means taking a step back from social media, whatever that means in our life, saying, I'm going to stop comparing and I'm going to start actually working towards my goals. I'm going to start actually working towards the thing that God's called me to. And number three, discover your purpose and start putting it into action. A perfect way to do this is through growth track. If you have not taken growth track yet, next week is week two and it is su- it's a super fun week because we take the time to do personality tests and gift test and discover what our purpose is and then see clear ways we can start putting them to action in the church and in the community and in our world, right? And so I think that's a great next step. And even if you have gone through growth track, talk to your connect group leader and say, what gifts can I start putting into action? And I'm sure they will have a list for you of different ways you can start putting into action the things God's called you to do. That's so excellent. And guys, uh, we're not off the hook. Comparison is something that women and men deal with. And so let's take these truths and apply them. And can we just decide today just to to drop the comparison game? Just get busy building the things God has for us. It's so much better for us. Okay, are you ready for our third C and our, our third enemy to defeat? Are you ready for it? I think that popcorn's getting a little tired. Are you ready for it? Okay, good. 
The third enemy, and maybe I shouldn't have got you so excited because this one is a little tough. The third enemy that we need to defeat is comfort. Comfort. That's uncomfortable. The third enemy that gets in our way of being the best that God called us to be, the person God called us to be, is comfort. Let me say this. I like comfort probably more than the average person, more than the average bear. I got my big Costco couch, I got my nice Walmart TV, and I like to sit down with some popcorn and some milk duds and watch a movie and be nice and comfortable. Wearing some funny sweatpants that I got for free. It's a true story. Weird pockets, weird, weird pockets on the sweatpants. I like comfort, and a little bit of comfort, that's cool, that's awesome. You worked a hard day, that's actually, it's biblical. Go read Ecclesiastes, enjoy some comfort. But too much comfort, too much relaxation can slip into compromise and it becomes too much. It begins to, to pull away from God's plan and God's best. It begins to distract, it begins to numb, and it actually begins to put us to sleep from that edge that we need to pursue all that God has called us to. And so it becomes an enemy. I want to read to you the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26. Read it with me. It says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. And the cross is not just a piece of jewelry that we wear, and that's a nice thing, but the cross was an implement of torture and of death. When Jesus talked to his followers about taking up their cross, that was not a comfortable request. That was not an encouragement for comfort. That was the encouragement for the very opposite, to pursue some pain for a purpose. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And this next section right here, I I imagine Jesus saying it with a, a plaintive tone, trying to convince people to trade comfort for meaning, comfort for life. He says this, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And that question that Jesus asked his followers echoes to us thousands of years later and still a valid question. What do we benefit if we gain the whole world and we got comfort and we got ease, but we lose our own soul. I'm here to tell you that we need to get acquainted with discomfort. We need to walk up to discomfort, shake its hand and say, hi, my name is, what's your name? Good. I heard a couple names in there. You need to walk up and get acquainted with discomfort. By its definition, Discomfort will never be comfortable, but we can stop being surprised by it. So you can't get comfortable with discomfort because then it's not discomfortable. Do you follow that? Makes sense in my head anyways. So the moment that you get used to one thing and it's comfortable, okay, then you got to press into the next thing. You got to keep pressing into that discomfort because in that place where you push back your, past your comfort zone, is the place where you get progress and you move into all that God has for you. Here's the second thing we need to do. We must learn to trade comfortable for meaningful. Do you want a comfortable life or do you want a meaningful life? Running a race isn't comfortable, but it's meaningful. Raising well-behaved, godly, healthy children isn't comfortable all the time. Moms, dads, you agree? But it's meaningful, incredibly meaningful. 
Getting an education, working hard at work, it's not comfortable, but it's meaningful. We need to trade comfortable for meaningful. As I kind of referenced before, comfort has an ability to lull us into a false sense of comfort, a false sense of security. And I think about it like what can happen when you begin to be hypothermic. There are actually stories of people who are freezing to death, but they feel warm. And they begin to actually take off their, their layers of warmth because their body is lying to them. It's telling them you're safe, you're okay, you're warm, when in fact they're getting closer and closer to death and to danger. Comfort can have that ability to, to nullify and to numb us from the dangerous places that we might be creeping in our life. None of us want that, right? So here are three questions you can ask to help you um, avoid the dangerous kind of comfort. The first one is, if I do this, if I cheat on my taxes, if I lie to my spouse to avoid a fight, if I, whatever that thing might be, to to sustain comfort, if I compromise, if I hold on to comfort, what will happen to me? That's the first question. What will happen to me? What are the negative consequences, the possible consequences? But here's the second one, because we need not just think about ourselves, is what will happen to those around me? What will be the impact of this affair on my kids? What will be the impact of my promiscuity on the the possible kids that I'm going to have who are going to be raised without a father or without a mother? What will happen to those around me? But we live in a world where sometimes kind of the effects of of, of our sin, the the impacts are kind of hidden, they're kind of nullified, and we don't see them immediately. So there's a third question to ask. Even if it seems like you're going to get away with what you know is wrong, Ask yourself this question. What kind of person will I become? If I do this, what kind of person will I become? If I hide from the the conversation I need to have, what kind of person will that make me? If If I always run away from the hard jobs and always go to the easiest place and I always stay in my comfort zone and I always try to be the big fish in a little pond, what kind of person will that make me? And I think for most of us, if we ask that question honestly, we say it'd be a person I don't want to be. It'd be a person I don't want to hang around with. It'd be a person I definitely don't want my kids to emulate or follow after. But the true, the, the, the opposite is also true. If I will have the hard conversation, if I will do the hard thing, if I will press into the discomfort, what kind of person will I become? And the answer is you'll become a person of character. And you'll have a life full of meaning and you'll be able to look back on it with very little shame, very little regret and a lot of godly pride that you pressed through, you ran the race and you did it well. Not perfect, but well and getting better day after day because you pressed into the uncomfort. I'm going to stick on this for just one second longer. Some missionaries in other nations where they're persecuted with death and beatings actually say that we have it harder here in the States. And I'm, 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 I can't compare because I've only had this side. But they say it's actually harder to be an American or a Canadian because there their enemy is straightforward and violent. Here our enemy is trying to bribe us for our very souls. We have to be vigilant. How much is your family? How much is your destiny? How much is your identity worth? Is it worth sacrificing comfort for meaning and for God's plan? I really hope it is. So here are two quick applications on that. One, stop doing the things that you know are keeping you comfortably away from God's best. Number two, start doing the things that are gonna make you the person you were called to be. 
Just begin it. Baby steps, but begin to start. Amen? Allie, what's our fourth enemy? So good. I know I definitely want to trade comfortable for meaningful. And our fourth one, um, fourth and final, is closed hands. Closed hands. Well, what does closed hands mean? Closed hands is when we tighten our grip and we close our hands to choose to not let go of the pain of the past. But we cannot move forward to the future. We cannot grab hold of what God wants for us in our future if we're so close-fisted on the pain and the things of the past. For many of us, this can often look like things like unforgiveness, regret, shame, condemnation, bitterness, right? When we hold on to those things, when we, we say, I'm going to try to hold on to them, we try to carry them into the future, we can't grab hold of everything that God has for our future. I love what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. He says this, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, and this is where we're going to focus in, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. He says, I'm going to do this one thing. I forget the past and I press forward to the future. Some versions say towards the upward call of Christ, that we're going upward. We're going forward. We're not holding on to the things of the past, but we're going forward. I love what C.S. Lewis writes. He says this, Getting over a painful experience is much like crossing the monkey bars. You have to let go in some po- at some point in order to move forward, right? Just like the mon- monkey bars, we have to let go of the last thing in order for us to go forward. And I love when we watched in that clip with Cinderella, the very last thing that we saw is right before Cinderella is about to step into her new life with the prince, and actually in that version, he's the king at that point. He's a, she's about to step into her life in the palace. The last thing she does is she turns to that evil stepmother, and Gina, Gina and I watched this movie last night, and she's just very, this is, if you've seen the live action version, she's just so evil the whole time, but she turns to her and she says, I forgive you, and I think that's so powerful because before she's going to say, I'm going to step into my life in the palace, she turns and says, I'm going to let go of the pain of the past. I'm letting go, I'm letting go of unforgiveness, and I'm walking into my future, and for us, I think we have to ask these simple questions in our application. We have to ask, is there anything in my past that I'm still holding on to? I think you have to ask that seriously. Search your heart and say, God, is there anything in my past that I'm holding on to? Maybe it's someone you need to forgive. Maybe it's a past hurt that you haven't processed you need to seek freedom from. But saying, is there any places that I'm still holding on to the past that are keeping me from moving forward? Number two is we have to choose to let go. Forgiveness is not saying what the other person did was okay. It's, it's far from that. It's not saying it, it's permissible, but it's saying I'm choosing to release them. I'm choosing to let them go. Gino told me this morning, recently he was fishing, and, and a lot of times his fishing adventures have not been super successful. And he gets, he gets the, little, the little guys that, that you kind of you catch and release, right? Um, because they're not worth keeping, right? And I think there's, there's, there's unforgiveness. It's not worth keeping. We have to bless and release, right? Just like you catch and release a little fish, we bless and release people because we say, you know what? It's not worth keeping. It's not worth holding on to. It's not worth bringing into my future. We're going to choose to let go. And then the third thing is we have to live open-handed, that we're going to choose to walk into our future not holding on to the pain. And anything that happens in our future, we're going to choose to live open-handed and not grab hold of those things in the first place. And then we're going to dream about all that God has for us in our future that we get to lay hold of. Mm, That's so excellent. You know, as we're reflecting on this, what would happen if Cinderella had not forgiven? 
if she had taken the pain of the past and the anger of the past and brought it into the palace with her. I don't believe her fairy tale story would be much of a fairy tale. And yet I think many of us have done that. I know in areas I've done that. I live in such blessing to be in America, to be blessed by God, to be in his family. And yet I've held on at times to the pain and the anger and the hurt of the past. And the people that punishes is not the person that hurt me, is my own wife, my own family, my own friends. Can you relate? Today, let's choose to bless and release, to let it go. Not because they necessarily deserve forgiveness, but because our family doesn't deserve for us to bring all that pain into, into their lives. And because God calls us to forgive, just like he forgave us. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to begin to wrap up here. So I want to remind us about our four um, enemies. And I want you to begin to think about which one, because maybe you need to fight in all four. I know I do. But maybe which one you're going to begin to really put some energy to and to begin to apply in your life. So let's, let's recap real quick our four enemies that keep us from God's plan and identity for us. Number one is caution or fear. We are learning that fear is often a liar and we need to press into it to see God's wonderful plan. Number two is comparison. We can get so easily distracted by what he's doing and she's doing and missing what God is doing in our own life. We don't want to get distracted. Third is comfort. It's easy to fall asleep to the dreams that God has put in our heart and settle for comfort and we don't want to do that anymore. And the third is closed hands. It is so easy to hold on to the past but we need to let go so we can go forward on the monkey bars of life into all that God has for us. And actually, there's a fifth enemy, a, a bonus enemy, if you want to call it that, that we want to help you defeat today. And that is captivity. It's our fifth C, the enemy, the captivity of sin. I'm going to read to you what Jesus said in John 8, 34. It says this, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who's, who sins is a slave of sin. Then in 1 John 1, 8 through 9, he says this, if we claim we, this is John speaking, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If you say you've never sinned, I'm sorry, you're just full of it. Your friends, your family, they will verify you've sinned. And the word of God shows us we've all sinned. Man, me for sure. Can we show, show of hands who's willing to admit it? Yep. And then the rest of you are liars. <laughs> so I'm mainly joking. We've all sinned. And we know it. We know it. Our conscience betrays us and tells us there's something that we've done that is, is wrong. There's a mess we've made that we can't clean. And yet Christ has come and given us an opportunity. These people... These sinners here are ready to repent. They're actually awesome, holy, amazing people. God has given us an opportunity to come and to receive his forgiveness, to get free from that captivity. In fact, in John 8, 36, it says this. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. Each of us has sins, and that means we're in slavery to sin. So here's what I want to say. For the Christians in the room, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're, you're, you're walking in faith, here's what I want to say to you. It's time to stop leaning on God's mercy every day and start enjoying his blessing and grace. 
God is so merciful, but there's a whole party of fun and joy out there where we can stop falling for the same old things again and again and being stuck and bound in the same old shame and darkness again and again, and we can begin to live the life he called for us and the blessing he has for us. Pastor Levi Lesko says it this way, God would rather fill and bless you than forgive you. And I'm gonna add this, you decide. You decide, where do you want God to spend his time in forgiving you or in helping you be the, the fullness that he created you to be? For the, the non-Christians in the room, man, we are so glad you're here. If you're not maybe a believer in Jesus, if you're just kind of seeking and you're here for some reason, I want to talk to you. We're so glad you're here. Today is your chance to get free from your slavery and enjoy the wonderful forgiveness of God. Before you can forgive yourself, before someone else can forgive you, the best and the biggest forgiveness that you need, the one that really matters, is the forgiveness of the perfect and holy God who loves you and who sent his son to make a way so that you could have forgiveness. Only when we are free can we begin to be all we are meant to be. God wants you free. Christians, he wants you free. People are coming here and you're just seeking. God wants to set you free. And right now, I just want to ask you just to bow your heads for a moment because I want to give an invitation. If you're in this place and you say, I want forgiveness. I want to, to begin to follow Jesus. I don't know all that means, but I want to start the process. Now, I would just ask you to raise your hand and we want to agree and pray with you. We're not here to embarrass you. We want to just pray with you so you can get that forgiveness that you so desperately need. The forgiveness that I so desperately needed. If that's you, just raise your hand or we're going to pray with you. Give you just a second. Amen. We've got a hand right there. I see it. It's so exciting. Any other hands? Okay. Give you another chance. This is just a public declaration, a little bit private. We were able to see you saying, no, I want, I need forgiveness. Okay, we've got that hand. It's amazing. Got that hand. You guys were so excited. Anyone else says, I need, I need the forgiveness. I need to start a new life. So excited for you guys. Amen. See that hand? Anybody else? People are still raising their hands. So we're going to give them a second. I need, I need that forgiveness. I need to start anew in Christ and Jesus. Any more hands? Amen. Okay, I see that hand. Amen. See that hand right there? Okay, amen. You're, you're going to put your hands down and we're all going to pray with you. We're so excited. Let's give them a hand. We're going to repeat after me. Father God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross and rise again after three days and take the punishment of my sin. I ask that you would forgive me of all my wrongdoing and that you'd be my Lord which means you're the boss of my life. And you'd be my savior, which means I'm cleansed from all my sin. Thank you for this. I'm putting my faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.